When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. There's a million ways to make a million bucks in real estate, and you just need to pick one. And so today we're going to talk about one of those ways, investing in land. We don't talk about that too much here. I've done a little bit myself. Um, I've been very successful with it. Why I stopped doing it, I don't know. So maybe I can get down to the bottom of that today with our guest. But we're still seeing lots of stories, a lot of doom and gloom stories in the news, right? Welcome to the all-new Epic Real Estate Investing Show, the longest-running real estate investing podcast on the interwebs, your source for housing market updates, creative investing strategies, and everything else you need to retire early. Some audio may be pulled from our weekly videos and may require visual support. To get the full premium experience, check out Epic Real Estate's YouTube channel, epicrei.tv. If you want to make money in real estate, sit tight and stay tuned. If you want to go far, share this with a friend. If you want to go fast, go to reiace.com. Here's Matt. I always think it's funny when Goldman Sachs and Forbes magazine are all commenting on the housing market when they're such stock market people. Certainly, they're, they're smarter than me. They have a wider breadth of knowledge when it comes to economics. But I take those with a grain of salt because... We've come to learn that the stock market being rigged, and it certainly is, that's not a conspiracy. It absolutely is. And wrote a whole book on it. If you'd like to get a book, a copy of that book, you can go to epicfreedombook.com. Anyway, that's all. I'm always curious. So it says housing market has further to fall as buyers walk away and sellers scramble for profit. So there's a reason sellers have had such a huge advantage over buyers over the past year. That's obvious. The real estate market lacked inventory in a very big way, obvious. Meanwhile, the supply of available homes began to dwindle at a time mortgage rates began falling to record lows. That sparked this huge gap, right? That's what caused the big giant rush. Everyone thinks it was like because of COVID or something. We just didn't have, we haven't built enough houses in the last 10 years. And I guess indirectly it could have been because of COVID because we dropped the interest rates so low to keep the economy going. Could have been a better idea to, to keep businesses open, to keep the economy going, but decided to close businesses and then lower interest rates to offset that. And it created an issue, right? It created these booming housing prices where the affordability just went out of range for so many people. So let's see, sellers have still enjoyed their fair share of gains this year, but home price gains are clearly slowing. That's key. People say that housing prices are dropping, right? Well, the housing prices of properties that have not sold yet, that are sitting on the market, yes, those are coming down. But if you look at the houses that are actually selling, they're still selling for more. We're still appreciating We've pulled back a little bit on the national median price point, but the stuff that's selling is still selling. And when they say, they, but home price gains are clearly slowing, the gains are slowing. You got to read what they're actually saying to us, right? The gains are slowing, but they're still gains. So in August, for example, home prices rose 13% on a year over year basis, according to the S&P Shiller, the case Shiller Index. Okay, that's a slower pace than what sellers enjoyed in months prior, but still rose 13%. If you go back historically over the set, 1960, since they started keeping track of it, the average annual appreciation rate is three and a half percent to five percent, depending on which resource you referred to. But we did 13 percent. That's still three times 
three times. And they're talking about that's being a bad thing, right? Meanwhile, let's see. Investment banking giant Goldman Sachs recently issued a warning about the housing market, specifically expect timely warning. They're not necessarily the first ones to warn, right? So should sellers be worried? Goldman Sachs expects home price gains to stall completely and average 0% in 2023. That's not the best of news as it could mean that sellers will end up walking away with a lot less money in the coming year. So 0%. But is that a crash? Because growth uh, slowed to 0%? Not by any means. And why such a gloomy outlook? So it has to do with the laws of supply and demand. The whole reason home prices soared in 2020, 2021 is that real estate market didn't have enough inventory to meet by demand. Right now, inventory is still down compared to normal levels, but as more and more buyers drop out of the market due to factors such as rising mortgage rates and recession fears, the gap between supply and demand is apt to narrow. And once buyer demand wanes enough to allow for an adequate supply of listed homes, sellers will lose much of the edge they've enjoyed over the two years. All right. So this is what I mean. This is a stock market guy talking about the real estate. So he says, why the, uh, da, 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 da. it has to do with the law of supply and demand. That's why the gloomy outlook. Well, as I, I started this, I didn't even know, I hadn't even read this article yet. I just got one randomly while we wait for our guest. See if he's here yet. Oh, he's there. I'll be with you in just a second. All right. Let me finish my thought here. The law of supply and demand. It's the demand is being suppressed artificially because of the affordability and the monetary policy. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about just between the people and the houses. But we are, even if, and I've, I've talked about this ad nauseum over the last two years, even if, say, we had this tsunami of foreclosures and all these people were, all these houses came on, it wouldn't be enough to meet the population demand. This as of December 15th. There's a newer one from 2020. But you can still see it. You see this big bubble in the millennials, Right? So right here, that was, if we look at this peak here, is a 2015, that's probably about between 16 and 34 years old. That's probably about 27, 26 years old right here. And right over here, when you hit 34, this is the average age of the first time home buyer. And so you see this big giant wave approaching the average age of the first time home buyer. And this wave doesn't get really any smaller behind here. So if you go back then for the next 16 to 20 years, there's enough demand already walking the earth to fuel the supply. And once this little bubble, so this was five years ago. So here we are seven years later. So we're probably right about here. This peak is right about here. So we are just a couple years away from this giant bubble here meeting a huge deficiency in housing. And that's if you can control the inventory, if you can can control, put houses and get control of them. Whether you've got control of them with a lease option, you don't even own it, but you got control of it. Or you have got seller financing, you're controlling them with the contract for a deed. However it may be, as long as you're controlling them, you've got enough demand here to drive rents and drive prices for the good 10, 15 years coming. We're too deficient in the housing. We've had a whole decade where we did not build enough. And now we're trying to catch up, but we're, like I said, they'd have to maintain record pace for the next 10 years for it, to even out this market. All right, so be really, really careful. So I think this is the best time to get in real estate, probably last three or four years because sellers are starting to read this doom and gloom stuff. You're buyers. You understand how this works. You're buyers and you're sellers and you know you're much more educated than the general population. And that general population out there is getting concerned. They're getting scared. They're looking at the housing market. They're looking at inflation. They're looking at global economics. They're looking at wars. They're looking at all this different types of stuff. They're freaking out. And it's unfortunate. And I think the, the media is doing a huge disservice to our public. But um, 
it is what it is, right? So someone, they're going to sell their house to somebody. So once you learn how to do this and position yourself to help these people that are in distress, whether it's financial distress or personal distress or the house itself is a distress, they're going to sell to you. They need to sell fast. They need some sort of financial relief because they got bigger fish to fry and, and the world is beating them up right now. And a lot of people are going to be turning to their houses as, that, as a source of that financial relief. Alrighty. So just wanted to cover that and just be careful what you put in your mind and don't let it discourage you or sidetrack you from your own real estate investing efforts. Okay. They're detective. I had a commercial broker today show me 2020, 2021 prices to try to sell me on getting in a new investment now. LOL. Well, why, why is that funny? What's wrong with that? Right? The price of a property isn't really the important part. It's how you're going to make money from it is what's so important. Right? So if you can pay top dollar for a house today and you could flip it in six months for more than what you paid for it, then that would be a good deal. Even if you paid retail for it, if you paid over retail, which I have done this before, I've paid over retail. But just because the rents were so good, the income was so good. So I had no problem overpaying for it because it still paid me a cash flow. It still gave me a nice return. So there's, you got, got to be really careful it, dismissing, taking on this mainstream media and dismissing it and thinking like, oh, what happened in 2008? It's going to happen all over again. It might. I don't have a crystal ball. But what caused it in 2008? Those conditions do not exist today. So if it does crash, it's going to be for an entirely different reason, not just because it did before. Okay. So just be really, really careful. Let's see. Uh, Spirit says, uh, we'll get started here just a sec. I don't think it'll be a major crash, but probably at least a dip in the next few months. Yeah, I think it's going to soften. Absolutely, it's going to soften. But this is the time to buy. This is the time to get in on it while it's softening. That's why I kind of started this whole session out. It's funny how many people, when the prices are really high, they're like, I'm going to wait till they come back lower. I want to wait till it softens. And I want to wait till there's a correction. I want to wait till there's a crash. And it starts to correct. It starts to soften. And they're like, well, I don't know if this is a good time. I'm going to wait till the market comes back. Because uh, which one is it, right? This is a great opportunity. You see the balance of supply and demand here. Even if you lost for a year, even if you were behind a little bit, you're maybe overpaid. Oops. But look what you got ahead of you for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Imagine if you bought houses 5, 10, 15 years ago, where would you be today? Well, there's a bigger movement coming over the next 10 to 15 years and half of the last 10, 15 years. All right. So sweet. I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. I'm just sharing you with the data. We had this pandemic thing, which was a total black swan and a, a monkey wrench in the whole system, right? Because something like that could happen again, something that we don't foresee. But the data that we have available to us and the best economic indicators that we have available to us, the best housing indicators we have available to us, everything's pointing to up. The only thing you got to watch is what are the Fed going to do with them interest rates? How is that going to impact affordability? All right, cool. I'm going to get off my soapbox because I love that soapbox. I'm on it all the time. And uh, I'm here to fight the negative information out there. The misinformation, the real misinformation. Not opinions. I just look at the data. Okay. So today's guest, we're going to talk about, I said, there's a million ways to make a million bucks in real estate. You just got to pick one. And we're going to talk about land today. So Mr. Ray Zhang, welcome. Yeah. I love it, Mac. And I uh, love what you share is you talk fast. I love it. <laughs> I knew you were waiting and I knew we were off topic, but there's so much great stuff to share and I can talk about it endlessly. Yeah. But um, cool. Thank you for being patient. Allow me to get the, in that, that in. So, Ray, we have never met. And Zhang, is that how you say your last name? Uh, John. Uh, way. Yeah. Okay, John. I want to say it right. Okay, John. Uh, Ray John. So, we have a mutual friend, I guess, that this is how we met. This is how, why you're on your date. Who is that? Do you remember? 
I think I belong to a mastermind called the family and uh oh, family reunion. Okay, yes, yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So Matt Andrews might have put you in touch with me, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Okay, good. I saw a picture of you online. It's actually where I got the picture for the thumbnail with Mr. Joe McCall. Did you learn to invest in land from Joe? Uh, no, uh, Joe has been a big uh, influence in my real estate uh, journey, but uh, I learned it from uh, a guy that not really a coach, but he's a military, still active. And uh, he shared that with me. I implemented it and uh, has a phenomenal result this year. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So how long have you been investing in land? About four years this year. And uh, okay. uh, the past three years, uh, not, you know, it's, it's okay, but this year has been very well. Good. I want to talk about that. But what were you doing just before you were investing in land? I was one of the immigrants. Uh, I came to the country about 10 years ago and uh, I was homeless at one point and living in the car for a couple of months. And then I started to flip cars because there's a demand for house. Of course, they have to drive to the house, right? So I bought and sold a lot of cars. And then as some, some saving, I had a, a place to live and I started to doing real estate, but I never had any success for six years. I spent at least 150000 on coaching and programs, but it didn't work out for me for about six years until I found land. Good. So if you looked at those six years, you had coaching, you made a sizable investment, which I commend you for, because I think that's a great investment is to invest in yourself. What was missing? What was broken? I was living in Hawaii and uh, I tried wholesaling and uh, that was very hard. And then I said, uh, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to try virtual wholesaling, which is even harder. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't work out. I said, uh, okay, I'm going to try cold calling, virtual wholesaling. And that's a uh, three impossible combined together. So <laughs> you make it very, very hard, right? right? And so yeah. there are people who wholesale property in Hawaii. There, I've got many students that, that wholesale virtually. The cold calling we know works. A lot of people said, will give credit to cold calling to get their deals done. So what do you think it was that you were doing that, that they're doing that you weren't doing? I think because the way that Hawaii works is uh, you typically don't get a deal. And then when you get a deal, the deal is very big. So that really, if you are new, that you don't have the confidence to, you know, keep mailing. So I think that was my problem. And also... As a business owner, we know that we are always have this shiny object, right? And that there's always a better way to make, make money. And the, that shiny object always better and make more money and faster, right? So right. you guys sidetracked it, I guess. Okay. Well, super. Um, yeah. People ask me, what's the best way to invest in real estate? And I'm just like, you know, the one that you'll actually do and the one that actually works for you. So you found land and that was a big pivotal moment. How did you make this transition? What caused you to go ahead and look at land? Because land in general is easier than houses. And uh, I tell people... How you did you know that in the beginning? I just thought, you know, what's on the land, right? You don't put a toilet on the land, right? There's nothing on top of it. And there's only dirt. So I basically just flip dirt, right? I can do it virtually anywhere. And I can do it from anywhere. So I was in Hawaii. I started to do land deals in Colorado. And uh, all those land has nothing on top of it. I just simply going down to negotiation with the sellers and the buyers. And uh, I did 150 deals in my first year. And right. uh, yeah, that was all, all small deals. I bought it for a thousand bucks. I sold it for 2,500, right? Mm -hmm. So that works out. All right. So 
I want to bring you all the way up to present to what you're doing today because I know you've had some real, a really remarkable year and you've made a lot, a lot of money. Let's go back to that beginning point where, you know, you're buying land for a thousand bucks, flipping it for 2,500. Where do you find land for a thousand dollars? I teach my students, you can do deals with any type of budget, right? There's land for like a couple hundred even. You know, in Colorado, I did the first couple 150 deals in Colorado. There's, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere, right? In the desert place, right? They sell them for 3000 Right now, it's uh, appreciated a little bit more, 6000 But But then everybody was selling for three grand. And uh, I just approached to the, the landowners. I tried to buy their land for a thousand bucks. And uh, a lot of people just signed the offer letter and uh, I hit a jackpot. This guy owned 150 lots. He owned actually 200 something lots in, in the same subdivision. So I bought 150 of them and I sold every piece of it. Nice. That yeah. is a jackpot. Once you come across the, one of those sellers that owns a bunch of stuff and here, do you want it all? <laughs> we have that a few times in the last couple of years where, you know, you, you're calling on one house and all of a sudden he says, well, I've got 30 houses and I'm looking to retire. Do you want them all? Right. So when you find that, that's good. All right. So when you're flipping land, does it work like flipping a house? Did you have to buy it for a thousand dollars and then resell it for 25 or could you do like the double close thing? You can definitely do that. But what I did is I buy it in a package. So every package is 10 properties. So I just uh, use an initial investment for 10,000 and uh, I roll it up to all the way to 150,000. So that's how I did it. But for sure, you can do the assignment thing, try to do wholesaling then, but uh, it will take longer, I guess, because they have to try to find the buyers. Got it. Can you find buyers like as quickly as you can for a house? Or does it take a longer time? What would you say is the average time for you to find a buyer? It's pretty easy. You just go to Zillow or Redfin and uh, search only land and uh, just see who bought the land. And uh, if that's a realtor sold the land, you can contact the realtor and tell, just the conversation will go like, hey, Mr. Realtor, my name's Ray. I have a land here in the same subdivision. And I saw that you sold some something there and mm-hmm. you must have uh, some cash buyers, right? Do you mind if I send it to him? Got it. Right? So easy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's very easy. <laughs> All right. So I was thinking out loud that, you know, you buy a, a piece of property in Colorado out in the middle of nowhere for a thousand dollars, you know, that would have to be a very specific buyer that you're looking for that would want that, right? Correct. So I actually joined this group and I paid a 70,000 coaching program for that. And then what they teach is you buy a land for a thousand bucks and they sell on terms and uh, for 7,000. Every month you get $150 yeah. for cash flow. And I try that. I have to post ad on Facebook, everything. And uh, that wasn't really good for me. I mean, it's not for me, actually. I'm a very impatient guy. I want money like right now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want a cash flow. And all the people who message you on Facebook, they will say, uh, is this available? And, and they're gone. I don't know where they are. But after that message, they're gone. So... I was like, this is not for me. But uh, I was looking. There are so many people doing that, the term investors. So I was thinking, can I sell it to them and save them a lot of direct mail money, mm-hmm. right? So what I right. did was I mailed to the entire county 
And uh, the postcard goes like this. I'll buy your land and for cash. And I only mail it to people who own more than five land mm -hmm. in the same area. So that's how I hit that jackpot. This guy owned 150 lots. And uh, I bring that 150 lots directly to those land terms investors. And I sold the whole thing to them in four months. And that's right. like, I still remember those days that, you know, I was, I think that was the happiest day in my life, even though I sure. make more money there right now. But, uh, you know, every, every day you sell at least five lots, you know, that building. Right. right. So you, you said that you bought it for a thousand, you gave them 3000 for, for, or you sold it for 3000 cash. And then the terms guy went and sold it for seven on terms. Correct. Right. Okay. I got yeah. it. So everybody wins. Super. Yeah. Even the buyer wins at a hundred bucks a month, then he gets to own this piece of property. So it's fantastic. Cool. Okay. All right. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit or edge forward a little bit. How do you pick your territory? I mean, the United States, big area mm -hmm. and not, there's more vacant land than there are houses. So how do you pick a good spot? So we have three ways to pick. Uh, they're all very cheap, uh, basically free. So there is three ways. The first way is Zillow, Redfin, and ListSource. So ListSource is a list company. You just have to register accounts. You don't have to buy a list. And uh, we can find that ideal market though for free. So first of all, we go to Zillow or Redfin and uh, you choose a super major market like Austin or Houston. So those major markets that are growing, that are getting more people, like the job growth is awesome and people are moving in instead of moving out. You know, I wouldn't do business around New York, right? So uh, people are moving in like uh, those major markets and you look at Zillow and uh, you see we're sold land the most around that city, not in the city. I don't do deals inside those major cities because it's very competitive. A lot of land has been sold but I do somewhere around 30 to 1.5 hours from that city. So, and then you zoom out, you see where those sold land in Zillow is a yellow dots, right? You see where those yellow dots concentrates. And that's the area we want to go into. Got it. Okay. So that's what I've always heard. And I've, I've purchased some land too. And I, I took uh, Jack Bosch's course and, uh, it was crazy. I did one mailing, I did one deal, and then I never did it again. So I don't, I don't know why I stopped, but Joe has got me excited again about land and I just started teaching my son how to do it. So he's out sending letters and stuff like that. So we're doing it again. So that's kind of common. You know, you find the major metropolitan and you go kind of go a half hour to hour and a half in the perimeter of the city, right? Correct. Yeah. Perfect. I was curious, you said list source. Did you learn that one from Joe McCall on how to reverse engineer and find the buyers? I forgot who I learned it from, but it could be him. That was yeah, years ago. First yeah. one, and everybody is like, Joe, that was genius. And I think everybody started doing it. But Joe yeah. is, yeah, he's very technical. And with the yeah. spreadsheet, everything. He always finds the hacks of every single website. <laughs> yeah. Right? Very yeah. good. All right. So how many markets are you investing in now? I would say at least about 40. Um, okay. 40 different counties uh, in about eight or seven different states. Got it. And what does marketing look like for 40 different markets? Uh, I try to mail at least 20,000 mailers uh, a month. Right now is the time, like you said, now is the time to push the gas uh, instead of the break. But most investors are 
you know, not most, but some investors are afraid right now. They said, uh, okay, I'm not certain what's going on. Maybe I'll stop. But that's not the time to take a break. No. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And it's really hard to convey that to people or, or, and without them thinking you have some sort of ulterior motive. But, you know, when the prices were up, you're all like waiting for them to come down and then they come down and you're like, well, I'm going to wait for it to go back up. So, <laughs> but, uh, all right. So 20,000 mailers, that's per month or is that total? Per month. Per month. But is that per market? Or 20,000? Oh, uh, total, 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 total. Total, okay. Yeah. And then what are you sending? Are you sending postcards or letters? Are you sending the contracts? How are you? What's your best marketing strategy? I send a purchase agreement. We also call that contract, but we never mentioned that word to the sellers. Uh, okay. It's a purchase agreement and um, with an offer price. And uh, as far as how do we know the offer price, uh, me and Joe McCall, we did a, a interview, the podcast, and maybe uh, someone who are interested, you can watch that. And uh, we go deep, really deep on how mm-hmm. I, I did it. Yeah. Okay. So you're setting up signed purchase agreements with the price on it already, right? Correct. Yeah. So those deals that you do, what does that typical response look like? Is that a phone call or do they just mail the contract back or how does that work? Uh, I have four ways to contact me in, in the letter. So the first way you can call me and the second is uh, there's an email there. And the third is I have a fax number. So a lot of uh, old folks, they, they love that. And uh, I got deals from fax number. And the, the last way is they sign that and they mail it back to me. Right. Wow. So how many deals have you done where the contract just came back and you never even talked to the seller? I talked to them, every, every one of them, because I have another layer of safety built up in the system, which is negotiation. So no matter they sign the contract or they call me, I always negotiate on top of that offer letter, offer price. For example, I just got a deal uh, last week or two weeks ago. I send the offer for 13,000 and the land worth about 26. And, uh, I need renegotiate. Uh, after 30 minutes, we bought it for 1,000 bucks. So yeah. what does that look like? Well, how do you justify that it's such a drop in price? When you talk to people, you kind of sense what they want, right? And, uh, you can sense their motivation. And, uh, like you said, there are people who are desperate for money. And, uh, in this case, you just don't want it because land is different than houses. House, you have a lot of emotion attached to their house. They love yeah. their house. There's memories that maybe the kids grow up. But how about land, right? Did your kid grow up on land? No. So they don't like the land. And uh, secondly, sometimes they, they hate it because the city build them and uh, they try to give them a, a high grass fee and new right. season lien or whatever. So they, I had people give me t- two land for free this year and they sold them all for like 20 grand. So they don't just don't like it. And the conversation, when I talk to them, uh, you can kind of sense that and uh, renegotiate on top of that. Sweet. All right. So as I was doing some research on you and looking around, you've been interviewed by several people and a lot of my friends, but I saw you did $800,000 was the big number. So tell me what that number is. Can you give me some details about that number? So this year, I think is a more um, close to a hundred something more deals. So what we do is uh, we find an area that the nearby the growing cities, and we offer forty cents on the dollar, and then and the offer comes back, we renegotiate, and after we get the deal, you know, sold it to me, and I'll put it back to the MLS with a realtor 
So we try to get the maximum for the deal profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So eight hundred thousand dollars. I kept seeing that number on your interviews as part of the headline. Is that mm-hmm. was that a year? Has that been total over the last four years? Yeah, this year. This year, the net profit. Yeah, that's net profit was eight hundred thousand. Fantastic. Correct. Yeah, Rick has a big wow for you. And I agree. So that's awesome. So how many people in your operations? Is it just you or do you have a team working with you? Yeah, I have a, a very big operation. I have one guy and uh, that's all I have. <laughs> Actually, I'm shameful to say this. I pay him $2 an hour. He's out of um, in the Indian side, I guess. You know, he works for me. That's it. That's all the team look like. You going to give him a Christmas bonus this year? Yeah, I, I should. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you do just straight flipping or do you do any um, seller finance stuff? Do you sell anything on terms? I guess just those years of seller financing or the term sale gave me uh, some kind of bad memory. So I don't want to do any of that. Yeah. Right. Just, yeah. So the question came from Rick. He's wondering, um, so how do you, you manage your notes? Was that part of the, uh, the bad taste in your mouth that it left? Or how do most people manage their notes? Do you know? You mean term sale? Yeah, I think that's what he's asking. Yeah. I don't do any term sale though. Um, so there are people teaching that. I think it's a great strategy if you have patience. So for me, no. So uh, very good. I would imagine, Rick, that it's done the same way that we do it with houses. We just use a third party note servicer and then we just have somebody else and they take 1% and they'll do all the collections and all that kind of stuff that people fall behind. So that's how we've done it. Past. Rick is interested. You, you've piqued his interest. Are small deals better than large deals? Which ones do you like to do? Yes, uh, I got this question quite a bit from the students. And uh, what I tell them is, um, you know, have you heard about the saying that bigger deals take the same amount of time than small deals? That's partially true, but not really. Because the bigger deals take less time than the smaller deals. Because when you do, do bigger deals, such as you buy a land for, let's say, 30 grand, and that land worth about 60 you have a lot of people coming to work for you at that point. The title company will be involved. They are super active to close your deal. And the realtor come in for their commission. They were eager to sell your land, right? And uh, for smaller deals, on the buying side, you have to close yourself. You have to prepare the deed yourself. And on the selling side, you have to post it all over the place. And when people come in, you have to take the calls. It's very complicated. So the bigger deals is what I'm after. And... Uh, as far as uh, what's the number is bigger deals or small deals, right? So I try to stay above land worth at least 15,000. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Very good. All right. So what's next for you? Just more of the same or you have ambitions to do something bigger? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, you know, I came from that point of, um, confusion and uh, didn't know what to do right now. I'm, um, doing a little bit of coaching and I have about 20 students right now. So, you know, I just really try to help. I mean, I was there and I know how I feel like I'd be more focusing on, on coaching this year, but I still have to run my land business myself because like you said, yeah, this is the best time to buy, right? Yeah. What's your attraction to coaching? Just the, the helping part, I guess. And, um, Wiseman said this, I forgot who said it, someone in China. He said, uh, the best way to learn is to teach. Mm-hmm. I was like, the best way to learn is not read a book, right? Yeah. But he said, the best way to learn is to teach. 
And uh, when, after I started to coach, I find that it's, it's true. I mean, when I start to teach, all the process has been super clear to me. That's the mm-hmm. first benefit for me. And the secondly, my students tell me a market and then I'll look into that market. Sometimes I go into that market with them. You know, I got some deals from there, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really beneficial, I guess, uh, for both of us. Right, right. I'm actually, it's funny that you said that. I thought you were going to say something else, but no, I would say that the best way to learn something is to teach it right after you learned it. And that, that's like really besides the retention, right? And yeah. I've become a far better real estate investor since I've been a coach. I do a lot of my phone calls for my students now and um, I'll close the deals for them after they've set them up. And I've just become so much better on the phone. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I've never, you know, I would have never done this to that degree have I just stayed on my own. So good. Well, congrats. I'm glad good people like you are out there to, to share your information. I'm going to put you on the spot. Why would I want to go and work with you and not Joe McCall or Jack Bosch? I guess uh, my method is super simple down to the road. I mean, t- super easy. I mean, it's not that the land is super easy. It's because I have done so many deals that I comprise all I have learned to very simple steps. I cut out all the BS and uh, all the things that I, no need, right? I don't, I never teach knowledge to my students. There's, if you want to read, you go ahead and go to YouTube, right? I teach only action steps. You get results. That's it. Right. Yeah. That's good. I like that answer. I thought you were going to crumble. <laughs> there's so many people out there teaching all these different strategies and there's probably 10 gurus for, for every single strategy out there. And, you know, you just, you know, pick the one that you resonate with and pick one and stick with it and follow the plan and you're going to do this fine. We know real estate works and we know all the gurus have a proven track record and they got students that have proven their track record or proven their system. But it's the point. So if you like simple and not learning and just doing what works and making money, then raise your guy. I would imagine virtual flip land is at a dot com. Uh, not yet. It's my uh, Instagram. So it's your Instagram. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So that's how they can get in touch with you. A hundred percent. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So I got another question here and then we'll go ahead and we'll wrap this up. But here's a question it says, I guess there's no dil- due diligence period. We usually use that time to find our end buyer. A little bit of a, a wide open question there, but uh, what does the due diligence look like on land? So first of all, when every lead comes in, we want to check if that land is a wetland, right? There are only very little things are wrong with the land. A wetland is one of them, right? And then uh, if the land has a drainage crossing the land, or if the land is covered with trees, if the land has power nearby, right? If the land is out of nowhere with not any houses nearby, the price will be very different than those infill right? And I uh, want to see if there's water nearby, right? So that's probably the due diligence. And I would, I could even send realtors to look at the land before I buy them to make sure that because I do it nationally, do it virtually, I cannot go to any, and I never seen any land I bought. And uh, so I have to send someone there to look at it. I guess that's a due diligence period. Right. For sure. Yeah. Well, you certainly don't have to check the electricity or the plumbing, right? Very good. Well, Ray, it's been a pleasure meeting you and to stay in touch. Congratulations on your success. And if you would like to get in touch with Ray, you can go to Virtual Flip Land. That's his handle on Instagram. And I imagine they just, what, DM you? Of course. I All right. Super yeah. sophisticated. So I'd imagine that if that's how you get in touch with them, his land process works very simply the same 
And uh, that's why you want to go and talk to Ray. All right, partner. It was nice meeting you. And uh, like I said, we'll stay in touch. We'll do this again. Let's check in next year and see where you're at. For sure, man. And that wraps up the epic show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would. And when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here and I'll take great care of them. God loves you and so do I. Health, peace, blessings, and success to you. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.